Well, welcome to Grace, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. Welcome, everybody. Watch online, too. Good to see you guys. <clears throat> you have to bear with my voice a little bit. I lost at the Browns game on Thursday. I witnessed a miracle. The Lord has blessed us. He has given us a Savior named Baker Mayfield. <clears throat> you know, it was fun. I, I've, I've been here for 25 years, gone to lots of Browns games. It's the first time I've ever seen him win live. So it, it was a blast, and I kind of screamed my head off. So it was fun. But it's good to be together this weekend. We're uh, launching a new series uh, called God and Money. And the reason we're doing this series is because Jesus emphasized it so much. So just to set you at ease, we're actually not raising money and not gonna ask you to give anything at the end of it. We're not on that path right now at all. Uh, at Grace, if you're new, uh, I'm pretty straightforward. When we're raising money or need to buy something or build something, I'll just look you in the eye and tell you that. Uh, we're leaning into this because Jesus leaned into it so much. So you actually can't teach the New Testament, the second half of the Bible without talking about money because Jesus talked about our relationship with God and money more than he talked about marriage or heaven or hell or prayer. That's how much he knew it was gonna be an issue for us. So when it comes to our relationship with God and following God, uh, Jesus is very aware that like money is in that mix and the great temptation for us is to ask money to do what God is to do, to trust money over, <clears throat> over Christ and to pursue those things and to, and to be passionate about that. So much so, God knows that it's the human temptation to be willing to gain the world that we would actually forfeit our soul to do it. And so he talks about this. He talks about it again and again. And, and when you, actually, when you get out into the rest of the New Testament, as the apostles are writing, they, they talk about it too. Uh, they talk about money because they just know it, it's not a North American thing, it's a human thing. And they know that our tendency to trust or to want what is right in front of us is always very, very great. And that to be a person of faith and trust and to lean into God, not unto our own understanding is always gonna be a struggle for each of us. So that's what we're gonna talk about here for the next few weeks. And uh, <clears throat> I was talking to a friend last night after services. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that we have Saturday services where there are lots of seats and parking and you can tithe 2% less. Jesus actually gives a discount uh, for coming on uh, Saturday, but would welcome all of you there. But I was talking to her after services on Saturday and she said, uh, she said is this gonna be like this really, really practical uh, kind of sermon series. And I said, it, it's gonna get a little bit more practical as it goes, but we're not starting there. Because this is what happens. When, when I read the Bible and I get kind of the practical truth out of the Bible, and there's actually a bunch of it, none of that practical truth will work if I haven't actually placed my life under God's authority and direction. So until I have my heart in the right place, uh, the practical counsel of the scripture won't make sense to me. And that's especially true with money because God's economy is always going to work almost the opposite of the economy that we live in. He's gonna, he's gonna ask us and challenge us to do things we would never naturally do. So if I don't have my faith and trust placed in Christ, not only will that not make sense, but I'll never have the courage to actually do it. 
So as we go through the series, like some of those components will come in. It's not going to ever be a financial seminar. Uh, we have those. and You can take those classes and they're very, very helpful. But we, we have to start with the positioning of the heart because that's where Jesus would position it. And Jesus would say something like this. He would say, if you are asking something else to do what I do, if you're asking something else to provide you security or to protect you or to help you or to give you fulfillment or to give you joy, and you look to that other thing for that instead of to me, what that other thing actually is is an idol, and you're actually worshiping it. And you've got your heart all twisted around and focused on the wrong things. So we're going to start this conversation this weekend by actually looking at that and saying, what, what is it that we long for? What would we ask God for? And what do we put our hope and our trust and our security in? And if it's anything other than Christ, then that's actually the core and the foundation of the issue. So let me, let me show you this. There's a, there's a passage of Scripture where Jesus is interacting with people who are struggling with that very thing as well. <clears throat> so we'll kind of kick things off there. So John chapter six, open up there. If you got your Bibles, go to John chapter six. If you wanna use a, a Bible in the chair, it's page 743. If you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, please just take one of those with you and keep it, write your name in it. We'd love for you to have it. And if you wanna use your, uh, your phones, it's all on the app, the Grace Church app. You can click there and uh, hit, the, hit the sermon, and it'll be right there, right? So John chapter 6, page 743. Let me frame this up a little bit, because we're going to kind of jump in midstream with the Bible. So this is, this is kind of where we're at in the Bible in John chapter 6. Jesus has been out teaching and doing miracles, right? So he's, he's, he's kind of letting everybody know that he's God. So he's been teaching a bunch. He's been doing a bunch of miracles. And he really, in some ways, is at, at kind of the beginning of the pinnacle of his popularity. And so people are hearing about Jesus. They're seeing or hearing about his miracles or they're either there or they're being told about his teachings. And this part of his life kind of culminates at something that, that we call the feeding of the 5,000. So he's in this particular place, he's teaching. All these people gather to see him. And the Bible says that there's 5,000 men, and that's the ancient world math. You didn't count children and you didn't count women. So we know there's 5,000 men. So there's probably more like 20 to 30,000 people, just this mass of people who have gathered to see Jesus and interact with Jesus. And he's really kind of has rock star status at this point. He teaches all day. These people don't really have a place to go get food, right? So you, you can't run out to restaurant row after Jesus is teaching. And so they're hungry. Jesus does a miracle that his disciples find this kid whose mom packed him a lunch and he takes his lunch and he multiplies it. He multiplies the loaves and the fishes. He feeds the, the, the 20, 30,000 people, the 5,000 men. Everybody eats until they're full and then there's leftovers, right? So it's this big miracle and everybody who was a part of it knew where the food came from. They saw Jesus do this. After the 5,000 eat, the disciples get in a boat and they're rowing across the, a lake. 
Jesus went off to pray by himself. In the middle of rowing across the lake, a storm hits. It freaked these guys out. These guys are like the ancient version of, of the deadliest catch crew. So, so for them to be freaked out by a storm, it's a bad storm, right? Jesus walks on the water. That's where that happens in the scripture. He walks on the water, goes out there. He's like, wind, settle down. And so it did. He calmed the storm, gets in the boat. He's immediately transported to the other side of the lake. These 20 or 30,000 people are looking for him now. They want to know where he's at. And so they find out he's on the other side of the lake and they go over there to connect with him. And that's where we're going to pick the story up. So this is John chapter six, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, these are all the people that just ate the, the bread and the fish. They ask him, Rabbi, when did you get here? How did, oh, Jesus, when did you get here, right? They're wanting to know when he get here. Jesus kind of reads their minds, knows their heart, and knows why they actually came looking for him. And he says this to them. He answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So Jesus looks at them and he says, listen, I know why you're here. You're not here because you saw me do a miracle and you wonder if I'm God or not. You're not here because you, you are considering if I am the promised Messiah and if you should place your faith in me. You're not here because you're concerned for the salvation of your soul. You're here because I made you dinner and you are hungry again. You're here because you ate bread and you had your fill and now you want more bread. Now, this is a very important place in the scripture because these people looked at Jesus and they looked at him and said, we just found a guy that can do something for us. We, we found a guy that can relieve the greatest stress we have in our life. We found a guy that can provide for us for us physically, and we want him to keep doing that. In the ancient world, bread was the most important thing you could get your hands on, see? This is an agrarian culture. They grow everything that they eat. They, never, they didn't export. They grew everything that they ate, and most of this 20 or 30,000 people would have been subsistence farmers. If they were hungry, they had to go to their own backyard, get the food that they grew, and ate it. So you ate the food that you grew or you hunted the food that you ate or you went and gathered the food that you ate. So you, you provided for yourself or you hunted or you gathered and that's the way that they, they worked. So the idea that there was bread that could be provided, that there was a miracle worker and he could provide bread because if I can get free bread... It's a life changer for me. You just wiped out all the stress of me working. I don't have to worry about whether I, there was a drought this growing season. I don't have to plan ahead because you also grew the seeds you planted. So how much bread should we eat? It's been a rough winter. Should we grind it up and eat it or should we save it and plant it? All that's off the table. I don't, I don't have to worry about if I can find a rabbit to eat or something like that. You provide security for my children. As a parent, you would have worried. Like, are we going to have food for the family? How do I provide for my 
children. And in the ancient world, when you woke up, when you woke up every day, you didn't ask yourself the question, like, what do I want to do today? Do I want to go on a bike ride? Do I want to see a movie? Do I want to work on the lawn? You didn't ask that question. You asked the same question every day in the ancient world when you woke up. How are we going to eat? What do we have to do to eat? And I got to plan months down the road so that I can eat everything in this culture would have been about where is my next meal coming from? By the way, much of the world lives this way today. We're the weirdos. that We have Giant Eagle and Acme and Aldi's and all that kind of stuff. We just go, when we want food, we go buy it. A bunch parts of the world, they don't live that way at all. They wake up and they're like, where am I going to hunt or gather food today? See, if you can pull food off the table, that you can have leisure, you can pursue your dreams, you can go earn money, you can increase your income. If you don't have to spend your energy getting food and that's what Jesus did for them and that's why they came looking for him. He looked at them and he said, I know why you're here. I pulled your biggest worry off the table for you and now you want me to do that again, right? Now, I would say this, the modern equivalent to bread is money. We would think about money the way that the ancient world would think about bread. We would say, if I have a worry, what would relieve my worry is money. If I have an insecurity, what would make me secure is money. If I was thinking about my future, what, how I would think about it, I would think about it financially. Where do I need to land financially? If I was thinking about the well-being of my children, I would think about how I'm going to provide for them. How do I get them to college? How do I get them in the right school district? How do I, how do I put money toward that? When we think about how we interact relationally, we express love often through money. We express care through money. Money and, and, and forms of money, materialism, are what consumes our thoughts day in, day out. We wake up, we don't say, what are we gonna eat? We say, what are we gonna do? And what we're gonna do depends on what we can afford to do. Money just runs through it all. In a modern culture, we wouldn't run to Jesus and say, make me bread. We would run to Jesus and say, give me money. That's what I need from you and what I want from you. And if I had it, see, my life would go easier. Number one cause of stress survey, North America, financial. Number one reason for divorce, fighting over money. Number one relational breakdown is money. We think about it all the time because we think of it as a source of provision and security and a necessity, and therefore it's what we want, and therefore it's often what we ask God for. So these guys, it just bread is their version of that. And they come and they ask Jesus, hey, hey, good to see you. Hey, Jesus, what's up, bro? Uh, you just want more bread, because I fed you, and now you want me to take that off the table for you forever. Jesus looks at them. He says, guys, let me change your mind on this. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus is trying to get their thinking to change. He says, guys, listen, you, you want lunch. I'm here to give you eternal life. You want a temporal need met, an earthly need met. I'm trying to meet an eternal need for you. So don't, don't work for the food that spoils but, but the life that comes from me. Well, the people only heard that through the lens of bread. Wait a minute. There's a food that doesn't spoil? There, there's a bread that we can get that won't mold, that won't rot, that, that won't go away. And then they ask this question. They ask him, what must we do to do the work that God requires to get that bread? It's the ancient world. So you make bread a day or two, maybe three, and then that bread's gone. There was no preservatives. Twinkies had not been invented yet, right? They can't sit on the shelf for 50 years and still be edible, and they're delicious, right? So, you can't, it, it, so they're like, wait a minute. You're saying that you can make our daily stress go away. There's a magic Jesus bread, and it won't spoil, how do we get it? What do we do? We have something we want God to do for us. What do we have to do to get God to give that to us, Jesus? You need us to go to church, we'll go to church. You, you need us to, is there 10 things, uh, 10 steps to God's financial blessing in your life? I saw it on Facebook, right? Is it that? Am I supposed to sow a seed of faith? The guy on TV said that if I send him a hundred bucks, I get a thousand in return and my hair would grow back, right? So what do I need to do? Do I need to tithe? Is that what the tithe is all about? Is the tithe the magic trick that gets God to give me what I want him to give me? What is the work that I'm supposed to do to get the bread that doesn't go away, which I think will be my security and my protection and my provisioning. Let me live the life I want to live. What do I got to do? And Jesus answers this question and he answered, it's, it's kind of a mind boggling way that he answers that we could, we could sit for three weeks and just talk about his answer. But he answers them in a way they weren't suspecting. He says this, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. What's God want me to do? God wants you to do the hard work of trusting me. God wants you to have a transformed mind and see, I am your provision. I am your protection. I am your salvation. I am your source of fulfillment. I am your source of joy. I am the key to happiness. I, I actually am what you're looking for. So the work that God requires is a work of faith. It's a work of seeing the eternal, not the temporal. It's the work of belief. It's hard work. It won't come naturally for you because what you want is a loaf of bread. I'm trying to give you life. So God wants you to do the work of believing in me. And still, it, it's hard for them to get their, their head around this. So they, they ask him this question. They go on and they, they said, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Then they say this, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is their thinking. They look at him and they say, okay, God wants us to believe in you 
what sign will you give us that you're our ticket to unlocking God's vault of bread? Because our ancestors, they trusted Moses. Moses had the hookup with God. So they trusted Moses, who was a prophet. And, and, and when Moses went and asked God, they got manna from heaven. Bread would show up every morning for the, for the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It was a miracle. They were secure. They were safe. They didn't have to worry about the weather. They knew how their kids were going to eat. And, and that's what they had. And not only that, they got manna, but like a bunch of them started crossfitting, so they needed protein. So they got quail too, right? So everything they needed, they got because they, they trusted Moses so you, if you want us to trust you, if you're the ticket to get God to do what we want God to do, you do a sign for us. You you, if you deliver for us, we'll trust you that you have the hookup with God, right? And Jesus leans into that and he speaks back to, him. he says, guys, listen, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you, uh, who gives you the true bread from heaven. For, for the, the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You got this wrong, guys. I'm not, I'm not Moses. I'm not one of the prophets. I'm the Son of God. I'm the promised redeemer. It wasn't Moses who had this special hookup with God. So if you, if you believed in Moses, he would unleash heaven for you. If you sent in $1,000 to Moses, he could get a hotline to God. If you went to Moses, he could smack you in the forehead and heal you. It wasn't Moses who had the hookup. It was God that the people were trusting, God who provided. And God, my father, has sent me, he and I are one. He sent me down to be the bread from heaven. I am what you're looking for. You, th you think you're looking for these other things and you're not. I am what you're looking for. I am actually the bread that gives life to the world. They, they still are stuck on this do for me, do for me, do for me mindset. And so they, they look at Jesus and they say, sir, always give us this bread. Wait a minute. There's a bread, you, like you eat it once and you're done? You eat it once and you don't ever have to hunt and gather again. You eat it once and you don't ever have to worry about the weather again. Wait a minute. There's like a magic coin that reproduces itself. And if I can get a hookup and just figure out how to access it from God, I can get money from God whenever I want it. God will give me whatever I cl they claim to. If I believe the promises for my financial prosperity, God will deliver it for me. Sign me up. We, we always want that bread. We want God to do for us whatever it is that we want God to do for us. And Jesus then looks and says, he declared, I'm the bread. I'm it. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm what you're looking for. I'm who you need. You're asking for the wrong thing. The Bible says, 
And at this, the Jews who were there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. What, you're it? They go on, they say this. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Wait a minute. You're telling us that you're our fulfillment? You're telling us that you're the key to eternal life? You're telling us that you're our blessing? You're, you're telling us that you're what we're looking for? Ready? You're just Jesus. We don't want, I don't want Jesus. I want bread. I've, I've heard about you my whole life. You're the savior of the world. Whatever. I got bills to pay. You're, you care for my soul. You're my provider. Why don't you provide me a different house and a different zip code so my kids can go to the school I want them to go to? You're just Jesus. What's the big deal? You're going to save my soul, forgive me of my sin. I want all the stress out of my life. I want what I want. I want my dreams to come true. I want my definition of security because I got a number in mind to retire on. And if I hit that number, it means that I can vacation the rest of my life the way I want to vacation. You're just Jesus. Everybody knows that you're, <laughs> you're just that guy I grew up hearing about. I want bread. And Jesus looks at them and he says, stop grumbling amongst yourself. What are you doing? He said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But, but here is the bread that comes out from heaven, which everyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. What are you complaining about? What are you talking about? Your ancestors got the manna and they got it for 40 years and they're all dead. You, you got lunch yesterday. Everything on earth is going to rust. It's going to corrode. It's going to go away. And it's all you're asking me for. Pay off your credit card bills. That's what you want. You want me to magically turn your Subaru into a Lamborghini. That's what you want. You want a new version of this. You want a different tag in your clothes. That's what you want. It's all going away. You can gain it, but you're going to lose your soul. I am the bread of life. I am what you want. I am what you need. I am what your heart cries out for. I am what you long for. And even if I, gave, if I gave you all that stuff, you would think that that's what real blessing actually is. You would trade in eternal life for temporal blessing that you're gonna be dissatisfied with and you're gonna die anyways. Why would you want that? And the people following him 
looked at this statement and they responded. They said this. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Wait a minute. You're saying I'm to repent of my sins, right? Right. Place my life under the authority and direction of Jesus the Christ, right? Right. Give my, die to myself and give my life completely to you and to your kingdom, right? Right. And all I get is salvation? I get, I get heaven in the end? I get the fruit of the Spirit? That's what I get. I get the inspired word of God. That's it. That's what I get. I don't know, man. I mean, there's no bread. There's, there's no upgrade. You don't roll the odometer back on the Yukon. Nothing. Well, I didn't say nothing. I just, I'm telling you what, what it actually means to follow me. And many looked and said, I don't know. Because that's a hard, I mean, that's all you get. Who just wants that? Look what Jesus says. It's fascinating. He says, aware, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said, does this offend you? Are, are you, let me just double click. Are, are you, are you offended that the only thing you get from me is my life? Are you, are you offended that I'll walk through your difficult times, maybe even teach you to prevent running up those credit cards? But you're, are you offended I won't do a magic trick for you? Well, you can do anything, you're God. Thanks, thanks for letting me know that. But you're offended. You're, you're actually offended that you're to lay up treasures in heaven. You're, you're offended that I will fulfill your soul. You're, you're, you, are you offended that I won't give you what you want the way that you want it? And the Bible says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. <laughs> That's it? That's it. I get happiness in my heart. That's what I get. I go to church all the time. And I get... I get the joy of fellowship with the body of Christ. I tithe. The guy on TV says if I tithe, I get 10 times back. You're telling me that's spiritual math, not real math? That's it? That's what I get? I've stayed in this difficult marriage. You're saying, I'm going to be happy about that in heaven. Great. You're, 
wait, 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 you're, you're offended? Yeah, I'm offended and I'm out. I'm not following that. There's nothing in it for me. What about salvation and the Holy Spirit and, and joy and, and power and authority? Pfft, I want bread. I want bread. No bread, no me. Jesus looks at the 12 disciples. Remember, this is tens of thousands. So he looks at the 12 and he asks this question. He said, you do not want to leave too, do you? You guys, wait, are you guys walking? You guys have seen the miracles. You've heard the truth. You've experienced the power of God in your own life. You've claimed to love me, to worship me. You said that you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You, you, you said that you engage and long for the vision and the mission of the church. You, you along the line, somewhere, you, you signed up for this. Are you leaving? Because you're not getting bread either. Just because you're devout and devoted and said all the right things doesn't mean you have this inside track with me. You wanna leave? Are you guys gonna abandon me also? And Simon Peter, the apostle Peter, shows up here and he just had some great moments. And, and it's part of why, why we listen to what Peter wrote, right? And this is one of his finest, greatest moments. He looked at Jesus and he answered him. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter looks at Jesus and he's like, where are we gonna go? We've found God. You are our salvation. You are our joy. You are our provision. You are our security. You have the words of God. You are the promised Messiah. There is no earthly price tag on that for us. And besides that, Jesus, you said in this world we would have trouble. You told us that people would hate us because of you. And we look at your life. You don't have anything. You don't have name brand clothes. You don't have, you don't have a mansion somewhere. You're not driving a, a luxury donkey. You're, you're, not, you're not living any of these. None, none of what they want is represented in your life. You never promised us those things. But we want you. We put our faith in you. We'll, we'll, we'll take the chance that what you say is true. We'll do the hard work of believing in you. We're not going anywhere, see. The temptation these guys were struggling with in John chapter six, it, it's, it's just a human temptation. It's not a North American temptation. It's just humanity. It's us looking and saying, I want God to be who I want him to be and I want him to do what I want him to do. And the temptation is this, that, that I, want, I want money to do for me what God says he does for me. That when I think about security, when I think about provision, when I think about help, I, I always think in terms of finances. When I think about dreams, when I think about blessing. 
If I have money, God's on my team. If I don't have money, he must be opposed to me. Where did you go, God? And Jesus would lean into that and say, guys, that, that money cannot do what I can do. And if you want it to and pursue it, you're actually creating an idol for yourself. You're worshiping something other than me. And it's fascinating when you read the Bible and Jesus' words as well as the apostles and you start getting into what God says about money. It's fascinating that the issue for God is never wealth. The Bible says it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. Who is wealthy and who is poor is God's business. It's not actually ours. The issue is never wealth. The issue is greed. The issue is ownership. The issue is where I think my provision comes from and who I think my things belong to. And God knows that that's the issue. And he knows that no matter how much he blesses us financially, it actually won't satisfy us, guys. And this is where it becomes a North American context. No matter how much we're blessed financially, what we ask God for is to bless us financially. And, and God would look at us and say, wait a minute, you are so wealthy already. Here's the stats. If you, if you own a car, live inside, eat whenever you want, have more than one change of clothes and access to clean water whenever you want it, you're in the top one or 2% of the wealthiest people on planet Earth today. North American teenagers are the richest people in the history of the world because the money they get, they don't have to feed and clothe themselves with. It's all expendable income. And God would look at us and say, you want me to bless you? You just ate. And we want more. More of what I've already lavished you with? You want upgrades? You want... Yeah, more, more, more. Wait a minute. The, the number one health epidemic in North America is obesity. And you look at me and say, I, I'm upset that I, I can't afford to go out to eat. I have to cook at home. The issue is never wealth. The issue is greed. It's satisfaction. Where God would look at a people like us, me and Heidi and the kids included, and would look at us and say, I, I have made you so wealthy already and what you pray to me and want from me more is more wealth. I almost don't know where else to put it. You're so rich, it's making you sick. But you, you want more bread, more bread, more bread, more bread. And I'm saying, I am what you want. We, we're the wealthiest culture in the history of planet Earth, and we have one of the leading suicide rates. And Jesus will look and say, it's not gonna make you happy. Give me bread. It's not gonna make you happy. Give me bread. You're not gonna feel secure. I want this number. When you get that number, you're gonna think you want this number. You're never gonna feel secure. Well, let me work. Let me do. You'll work yourself to death. You're not your own provider. Well, if I get enough, I'll be generous. No, you won't. You never will. You want me. I'm the bread of life. 
but you're passing on me. You're forfeiting your soul to get more money in the bank. How much could you possibly use? So God would never look at money and say it's evil. It's not. The love of money is the root of all types of evil. But money's not evil. Money's just a thing. God would never look at wealth and say you shouldn't be wealthy. All of us would be in sin if you shouldn't be wealthy. Every last one of us. It's never wealth. It's greed. It's what I long for and what I want and what I trust. It's not that money is evil. It's that money is dangerous. And it's dangerous to my soul. Because when I love money... I will sacrifice my soul to get more stuff. And it's what I ask God to give me. It's more, 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 please. It's what I want. If you love me, you'll give me more. We need money. Doesn't matter if money's a $100 bill or a goat. <laughs> it's just the way the world, it's no big deal. We need money. But when we love it, it will kill us. You can fuel your soul with money. Some of the most fulfilling, wonderful things you've ever done is give money away or invest money into a person or invest money in the kingdom of God. You would look back and say, I, that was so much fun to go do that. It was so neat to see somebody's need met like that. Money can absolutely fuel our soul or it can rob us of our soul. We can become the most hard-hearted people turning a blind eye to desperate need because we gotta hang on to our money. Money, can you can help people with money. There is times that what people need is money. It's cold outside and this family's struggling with sickness and they need their lights turned on. The kid is hungry over there. He needs a meal. This person has an issue and we need to put a roof over there. There's, there's lots of ways to help people with money and you can hurt people with money. You can kill a relationship with a loved one over $5, over the, uh, a scratch on a car, over who broke the controller to the PlayStation. You can help with money. You can kill with money. You, you can enjoy money. The Bible says every good and perfect thing comes from the Father. He gives us everything for our enjoyment. There's no guilt trip in the Bible. If you've ever been guilt tripped over money at church, it's a false teaching. There's no guilt trip in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you should never go out to eat. Nowhere in the Bible does it say thou shalt not vacation. Right? Mice in Florida are of the devil. Right? It's not going to be there. You should never, that you're never going to find the brand of car you should drive or the square footage of your house in the Bible. It's not there. God doesn't care. It's not about wealth. It's about greed. You should enjoy your money. But when you lust after it, what does it do to the heart of the father who gave it to you? I like to do things for my kids. It, when I had children, Christmas became about their eyes lighting up, not about me getting what I wanted. I love to bless my children, but when I bless my children, if that turns into greed, it's mine. You can't have it, you can't take it. It hurts me that my generosity turned into greed and lust. See, money's not evil, it's dangerous. And it's dangerous because the temptation of man is to forfeit our soul to gain it. 
And when you read the Bible and you read the financial principles in the Bible, if you read those financial principles outside of surrendering your heart to God, you'll read them selfishly. Oh, if you do this and this and this, God will bless you. That's not what it means at all. Oh, if you tithe, God says test them. If you tithe, you'll get more money. That's not the point at all. Oh, the Bible says those who are rich, which means everybody who has something that I want is now a rich person. You should give it to me. You're not even on the universe of what that means. But if you position your heart, God, what I want is the bread of life. What I want is you. What I'm gonna work at is trusting you, holding my stuff with an open hand. What I'm gonna work at is stepping out on faith. I don't really know how obeying you is gonna work out. I'm just gonna do it then what'll happen is money will take its proper place, ready? Because Christ took his proper place. And life will come into view. I think my takeaway for this weekend is kind of to to double dog dare you to walk through this series. Because this is what I bet. I will bet you, Sushi, that that if you will walk through this series and allow Christ to transform your mind and your perspective and you, you start reading the scripture correctly from a surrendered, submitted heart where God is the owner of things and we are not. I, this is what I bet you. I bet you that as you dig into the financial principles of scripture, I bet you that you will find that your anxiety your frustration, your relational tension are often tied to your, to your view of God and money. That your lack of trust of God and even your bitterness sometimes toward God is tied to your view of God and money. That your understanding of God's love and your hesitancy to trust his love is tied to your view of God and money. And I bet you that because Jesus talks about it again and again and again and again. And it's not because he's broke. When Jesus needs something, he will take a little and multiply it supernaturally. He's not hurting for money. He's longing for your soul. And he would look at you and me the way that he looked at these disciples in John chapter six, and he would say, ah, there's so much more. I am right here. Don't forfeit me. He would look at us and say, are you, are you actually offended that all I did was die for you? He would look at us and say, guys, the bulk of your unhappiness. Maybe the reason I don't give you tens of thousands of dollars is because I know how miserable it'll make you. You're not able to handle it. And you start to get his perspective on yourself and him and your relationship with God and money and it will be life-changing. It'll be life-changing. And I can promise you this, you're not gonna wind up with a bunch of money at the end, right? Wrong guy to talk to about that. If you want one of my hankies, I'll just give you one, right? But you will wind up with a deeper, more passionate, more powerful 
relationship with the bread of life, right? Okay. Band's gonna come out and we're, we're actually gonna sing some prayers. I, I, I love this part of our service and, and you need to capture it. Sometimes we just don't know what to say and the song will say the prayer for us and so that's why we'll sing a certain song. So we're gonna sing these prayers and maybe these words are words you can use to look at God and say, okay, I'm in. I'll, I'll at a minimum have the conversation and listen to what you have to say. But I wanna yield even this part of my life to you, okay? So let me pray and then they'll, they'll lead us in that time. Jesus, love you, help us, me too. And we're, we're all tempted this way, you know us. We're all tempted that the immediate in front of us is what we think about and dial in on and, and it's a temptation. It's, it's not even a sin, it's a temptation. So God, help us not to yield to that. That's when we get into the sin. Help us to resist that temptation and turn to you and to be lost in, in the wonder of what you've already given us, yourself, your son, and to be captured by the heart and the mind of Jesus. So Jesus, we ask you to lead us in that way and through your gentleness and your kindness and your Holy Spirit, draw us close to you. Change our minds, change our hearts, and, uh, and move us to the place that you know is best for us to be. Begin that even now in these still moments in your name, amen.